The object of your affection, what is it? We've been making our way through the letter of 1 John, and today we are picking up our study at verse 12 of chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, flip over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. And while you're doing that, uh, a quick review of what John has taught us up to this point. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, John talks about the problem of sin that affects all of us as human beings and how the Lord addresses it for us through Jesus Christ. You might remember when we were in that passage, the way sin was being dealt with by the false teachers at the time that John is writing was to either deny that sin is a reality at all in our life or to diminish its significance, claiming that it didn't really matter ultimately because God, they said, was only interested in the spiritual. We noted that our own popular culture deals with sin in similar ways, denying that sin exists at all or diminishing its significance. In truth, our sin has separated us from God preventing us from having fellowship with God, as John puts it. And it cascades down through our lives, impacting our relationships with ourself and with others. Sin lies at the bottom of virtually all human suffering and disappointment. We can't have a relationship with God unless our sin is honestly faced and dealt with. And the way God has dealt with our sin is to have his sinless perfect righteous son Jesus Christ die in our place as an atoning sacrifice for our sins paying the price to remove our guilt before God and now Jesus Christ it says having resurrected from the dead continues forever to advocate for us before God the Father we take hold of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ making it our own by faith We acknowledge our sin, confess it to God, believe and trust in what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. Well, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, which we looked at last time, John tells us that those who really know God, who are in fellowship with God, who have a new relationship with God through Jesus, they seek to obey God's commands. Keeping God's commands is evidence that a person is in relationship with God. Keeping God's commands is how we express our love for God. And for of all of the commands that God has given us, loving others, he says, is the most important and the clearest indicator of our relationship with God. Well, let's flip over to 2, beginning in verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know God. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. In these verses, John breaks from the main train of thought that he has been pursuing in his letter up to this point, and he speaks to the believers these words of encouragement in a poetic style. He speaks to three groups of people in the church here, dear children, fathers, and young men. 
He speaks to each of these groups twice here. Dear children, this is the first group he speaks to. He says, dear children, he addresses them twice at the beginning of verse 12 and then at the end of verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. The reference to dear children can mean those who are young in age or those who are new believers or even to all believers in general since this is a common term that John is using in his letters when speaking to all believers. I believe John is intending to speak to all believers here, assuring us of two things. First, our sins have been forgiven, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And second, we indeed know the true and living God, the Father, because we have embraced what Jesus Christ has done for us. These are two very powerful and important things for us to know and remember. The believers that John was originally writing to were under a great deal of pressure from these false teachers who were trying to get them to abandon the teachings of the apostles in favor of these new ideas that they were pushing. As we noted when looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, a big problem with these new teachings that these false teachers were uh, pushing was that they didn't really deal with our problem of sin. They basically just swept it under the rug. They tried to either deny the existence of sin or diminish the importance of sin. They claimed that it didn't really matter how we live because God didn't care about anything but the spiritual. Well, that idea, it might sound attractive on the surface, but when our guilt begins to creep up over our heart, we need real relief from guilt. And that only comes through real forgiveness. And that only comes through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To know that our sins are forgiven truly and forever, it brings peace to our soul. Dear children, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. What a wonderful, reassuring word that is. Another claim that these false teachers were making was to say that this secret knowledge and mystical experiences that they claimed to have had were evidence, they said, that they really knew God. John, you'll remember, he countered that claim saying that obeying the Lord is the real evidence that we know him. Are we seeking to imitate Jesus with our life? So, John tells the believers here, you know the Father. Don't pay any attention to these false teachers who are trying to mislead you. You know the Lord. You are in fellowship with the Lord. You are in relationship with the Lord. Not because of some mystical experience, but because of what Jesus Christ has done and you trusting in what he has done. What encouraging words those are when you are beat down and you're discouraged and you're questioning what you believe. John, he comes and he says, Dear children, you know the Father. Don't let these guys scare you. Hang on to the truths you were taught in the beginning. It was true then. It is still true now. It was true yesterday. It's true today. It's going to be true tomorrow. Fathers is the second group that he addresses in this passage at the beginning of verse 13 and then again in verse 14. He says, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then I write to you fathers because you know him 
who is from the beginning. The reference to fathers, it can mean both those who are advanced in physical age or those who are very mature and experienced spiritually. Either one of those work in this context. Now, although John refers to fathers here in the text, these verses can be adapted and applied to both mature males and mature females. So we have fathers and mothers that we can consider here. Who is the one they have known who is from the beginning? Well, God. John is saying, in effect, that these mature ones of the church, these fathers and mothers, have enjoyed fellowship with the Lord. They have walked with the Lord. And John is writing to encourage them in their faith and to affirm them in their role that they carry out in the church. The spiritual fathers and mothers among us, the mature ones, they are a tremendous asset to the rest of us. And I want to encourage you to seek these people out and spend time with them. They have such rich experience to draw from. Having walked for so long through life with the Lord, they have known Him who is from the beginning. Mature ones, I want to encourage you too to make yourselves available to the other people in the church. We need you to pour your lives into the rest of us. Your wisdom and experience, they are priceless. It's important that you share it. The church should be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic family of followers of Jesus Christ. That's when we have the richest, fullest environment for individual and collective growth and the expression of Jesus Christ among us. All peoples of all ages, all races, all cultures, all, all socioeconomic levels coming together all to serve each other, to learn from each other, to care for each other, growing together, glorifying the Lord. Dividing the church into age groups and color groups and special interest groups, that's not the way the Lord intended it to be. The church is to be a family of difference, rather than separate collections of sames. The third group that John addresses in this passage is young men in verse 13 and then again at the end of verse 14. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. What is John talking about here? Notice that John's words refer to conflict, battle, struggle. He's talking about the war going on in the spiritual realm. The reference to young men refers to those in the church who are considered the active warriors. Now, although young men are mentioned here by John, the things that he says have application to young women as well. So the same thing with fathers and mothers. We can say the same thing with young men, young women. I don't think we can really quantify what young means here, though. John the writer was a very old man when he wrote this letter, which makes nearly everyone young as far as he's concerned. So I believe these words have application for virtually all active followers of Jesus Christ in the church. When I say the active warriors, I mean those who are actively engaged in growing as a Christian and making a contribution to the ministry of Jesus in this world. See, this war 
is both a war we are fighting for the lives of other people and a war taking place in our own personal life. It's, it's not a physical war. It is a spiritual war, and it involves the thoughts, the ideas, the motives, the desires, and the unseen forces. 2 Corinthians 10.3, Paul wrote this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He says to these active warriors, so to speak, he says, you're strong. The Lord has given us everything we need to engage in this spiritual battle. But we need to make sure that we're tapping into that strength and power that he has provided for us so that we will be strong, as John describes here. Ephesians 6, 10, Paul writes, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That is the source of our strength, the Lord. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The evil one, Satan, the devil, is trying to destroy the good work of God in our lives and seeking to keep the rest of the people in this world blind and in darkness away from the saving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4, he writes, The God of this age, Satan, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, the word of God lives in you. So, young men, young women, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. Do you want to be strong in facing the spiritual battle around you? Then the word of God needs to live in you. What John says about these active warriors of the church of his day must be true of us too. The Word of God must live in us. That word translated lives, it means dwell, abide, be present, or remain. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 15, 4. In that famous passage where he talks about himself being the vine and us the branches. John 15, 4, he said, Remain, 
or live in me, as I also remain or live in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or live in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or live in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain, live in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must be continually connected to Jesus to bear spiritual fruit in order for our lives to be changed, in order for the work of God to be done in us and through us in this world. Who's described as the living word of God? Jesus, remember? One of the ways we remain in Jesus, abide in Jesus, live in Jesus, is through the continual intake of God's word. Seems almost too simple to say this, but reading our Bible and spending time in prayer are two of the most important things we can do to be strong in the spiritual battle to overcome the evil one. Christian, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And through this, you will overcome the evil one. John, now in verse 15, he admonishes us about some of the things that this evil one uses to keep people in darkness and to destroy the work of God in our lives. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. When John says, do not love the world, he doesn't mean to not love the people of this world. We are actually commanded to love the people of this world. We're going to see, too, in these next verses that the using and abusing of people, the failure to love people, are part of the love of the world that we're to avoid. If anyone loves the world, he says, love for the Father is not in them. John says we can't love both God and the world. They are incompatible with one another. Verse 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. So John is now defining for us what he means by the world. The lust of the flesh. The pursuit of our own self-centered motives. God-independent goals and desires are driving us placing ourself first, all that is materialistic and egocentric and exploitive and selfish, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, coveting and wanting what one sees, being driven not by what is right and good, but by one's own selfish gratification, the pride of life, the glorifying in oneself, in one's possessions, in one's accomplishments, forgetting and denying that all good things in our life are a gift from God. These are not material objects. These are attitudes, motives, desires of the heart. I want to make sure that we don't miss that. John has not mentioned objects here as being love for the world. We're not told, you need to stop watching television. You need to stop dancing. You need to stop listening to that music. You need to stop finding any pleasure in this life. That's not what he said here. 
That's not where John's focus is. He puts his finger on the root of the problem, our motives, our attitudes, our desires. We can appear to be very proper, but be filled with selfish ambition and arrogance. Is my desire for things overshadowing my concern for people? Is my lust turning people into objects to satisfy my personal wants, sexually or otherwise? Is my drive for significance crushing people under my feet? These things that John lists as coming from the world are at bottom human attempts to satisfy that deep hunger that we have for God. Our hunger for the infinite and transcendent, it becomes warped and perverse as we try to find a God experience, a divine rush in these other things, in other people. Human beings, they are continually on a quest for this in their lives. And when we try to find that hunger for God in anything but God, it gets perverse and warped. People get it through shopping, sex, drugs, dangerous, life-threatening activities, having the smartest kids in the neighborhood, accumulating money, obtaining and displaying material things as a symbol of our wealth and power, climbing over other people at work for that next higher position. The, The list is endless for how human beings try to scratch this eternal itch to fill this bottomless pit in their souls. The antidote for love for the world is love for Jesus Christ. Having our hearts captured by the glory of Christ makes these other things smaller in scope and find their proper place in our life. A Christian, see, is is not a person who's trying to be nice all of the time. A Christian is a person who is in love with Jesus Christ as a response to Jesus rescuing them from this empty life that is driven by these things that John is mentioning here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. When we put our focus on Jesus and pursue the rich life that he makes possible for us, then our appetite for these other things diminishes and they find their proper place. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 17 He says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, there's no future in this world and its desires. The only thing in this world that lasts forever are people. All the rest of this world is going to crumble into the dust one day. One commentator describes this world as a passing show on its way to ruin. A passing show on its way to ruin. If there was an old broken down building, 
in the neighborhood with a sign on it that read condemned and a notice posted that read this building is going to be destroyed by order of this city well you would know a couple of things one don't try to live in that building it could collapse on you at any moment and second don't invest your money or time in that building there's no point in it it's going to be destroyed well, those are pretty obvious things for us to see when it comes to this broken down, condemned building. But this world and its desires are the same way. They're broken down and condemned. We don't want to live there. There's no security there. It might fall on us and collapse on us at any moment. We don't want to invest our money or time there. It's pointless. It's going to be destroyed. There's no return on investment available in it. Instead, we should invest in the things that are going to last. The lives of people. The cultivation of our love for Jesus Christ. Taking on His character in our life. These are the things to invest in. When closing, I asked you at the beginning who the object of your affection is. It's sad and tragic when a Christian allows their heart to be caught up with the empty things that Jesus came to replace in our life. Christian, let's return to the rich life that God intends for us. Let's make the Lord the object of our affection. If you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, do you feel like you are on this endless search for a God buzz a divine rush? Do you have an itch that you can't quite scratch inside you? God is what you are hungry for. God made us to know Him and to enjoy fellowship with Him. We're relational beings, and the most needed relationship in our life is a relationship with God. But we're born alienated from God, separated from Him. And, and it just gets worse as we choose to follow our own will for our life rather than His. Pursuing these lusts and pride of life that John mentions here in this passage today. But God loves us so much that He became a human being in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, and He died as a sacrifice to reconcile us to himself to make a relationship with him possible for each one of us you can begin a new life with god today acknowledge your need recognize jesus as your savior ask god to forgive you for your sin change the direction you're heading in in your life ask jesus christ to come into you and begin making you into the person god wants you to be god will give you a new life a new direction a new purpose Make him the object of your affection. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Lord, I pray for those this morning who have never taken hold of this relationship that you offer them through your son Jesus. I pray that today is the day that they would do that, that they would say even in this moment, Lord, I want that. I want to know you. Come and forgive me. Give me your new life. Give me a new direction and purpose and a whole point for living. I want you to be the object of my affection.
Lord, I pray for all of us that same prayer, that you would be the object of our affection. Lord, those of us who have allowed other things to come in and draw our attention and our passions away from you, I pray that you would today call us to yourself again. And we would come and take hold of you, Lord, and allow you to have our heart in a new, fresh way. That we would love you above all else. Make these things true in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.